You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast, conversations on faith, life, and leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. In today's conversation, Jim and I continue our conversation around the COVID crisis. One of the things I hear from pastors continually, and I know personally as well, is it's a really difficult time to be making decisions. There's the pressure of time itself. It feels like often we never have more than a week to implement new regulation or ordinance changes. And there's also the experience of decision fatigue, that without an ability to plan long-term into the future, we can just get taxed, constantly having to make new decisions without all the information we need to make them well. Jim, as always, was really insightful and helpful for me personally, and I think he will be for you as you think about the decisions you're making and the ones you'll be making in the weeks to come. Thanks for listening. Well, Jim, it's good to be able to talk again. Uh, We're in a series of conversations where we're reflecting on our current crisis and really trying to take a look at um, not necessarily practical applications for the church. Everybody's in sort of unique situations for that, but really instead trying to look at what does this time mean for us as as a person, uh, as a person of faith, as a pastor? Um, how's this impacting us as an individual? And, and as we talked about last time, I thought really helpful, uh, the sort of character that's building or being exposed through this crisis. And I thought in this conversation, we might spend a little bit of time talking about uh, decisions and how decisions are made, how you're thinking about decisions. Um, I'm curious, you know, I'm assuming this is true, but in the last couple of months as we've been dealing with the coronavirus, how has it impacted? your decision-making process and just the number of decisions that you've been forced to have to make. Yes. Well, thank you, Chase. Great to talk with you again. I, I've i uh, realized that um, when you can't meet face-to-face with your primary team, I have an incredible staff team, and in our church polity, I also have a, a board of seven men and women who kind of are the overall policy group that I'm primarily accountable to. And they leave the management to the staff team. And I've been working with both of those groups um, together. And I found decision-making is much clunkier when you can't be in the same room together. Coming to conversation uh, that that really crystallizes clear decisions is more difficult over Zoom uh, people tend to be quieter in that medium. Uh, you know, you've got your little square on the screen and, uh, you know, if you speak, it's going to interrupt other people. And, and, and it just, I find when I'm in conversations with other people, like I'm on a couple of other boards, when I'm in Zoom, I, I just say less. I, I just, it's just harder to participate. So it's, it's taking us longer to come to group and team decisions plus the idea that the crisis came on us suddenly. And uh, we haven't met as a church for over two months now, and it's probably going to be another month or two yet in our setting. Even in our city, we can't meet uh, in groups more than 25 people right now. So you have to, when a crisis like that hits that you've never walked through before, I found I had to change my leadership style to be a more assertive decision maker myself than normally I would when my team can be together and when we're not in crisis and kind of everybody on the team is being creative. I just found like my leadership style has be- has to become a little more directive now. 
in order to get things done. Otherwise, it takes too long and we don't see each other enough. And I don't expect when a team, when you go through a crisis, I don't expect my team to, to on their own, jump to the rescue all by themselves. Uh, I love the fact that our team thinks about the whole and they view their roles in terms of the health of the whole. But especially when you're in a crisis, I, I don't expect them to immediately be creatively coming up with all the solutions. You know, there there were certain things I just knew we had to do immediately. I just had to make them happen. I knew that from the last Sunday we had services, I needed to stock, start talking to people every day of the week. And, you know, and I knew we needed to have an online church platform by the next week, which we hadn't had yet. And so I had team members pulling all-nighters and everything, but you just have to make some things happen. This this stuff is beyond deliberation. So you make the obvious survival dis- decisions first. That came the first three weeks. You're making the obvious survival decision. And then there was another set of decisions over the next three weeks that tended to to be, uh, okay, where where are we here? How can we improve what we're doing? So what do we need to do the first three weeks, the next three weeks? How do we improve what we're doing? And then we really started to address together the connectivity kind of decisions we need to make. So about uh, over a month into this, you know, I, I I brought a set of guidelines, like here's our metrics and that had to do with keeping in touch with everyone on our leadership teams every week. Um, then we decided to call everybody in the congregation, which was a sm- fairly small group of us doing the calling. It was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of phone calls. Um, that we started before Easter and, and finished that project after Easter. And and so we, we started getting into these connectivity decisions at that point. And then we started looking at outreach decisions, you know, and, and I, I tried to assess the capacity of our team going forward and tried not to outrun them on that. Plus in the world of early adopters and late adopters, I'm a mid adopter anyway. I'm, I'm a little more of a incrementalist than a revolutionary by nature as a leader. And I fought myself the first few weeks. Uh, you know, you're watching what all these other pastors are doing. And I really did second guess myself internally a lot the first couple of weeks. Like if I was more aggressive, if I was more assertive, if I was a stronger leader, I, you know, we'd be doing this and we'd be doing that and we'd be feeding 8,000 people a week and all this. But you know what? My, we just did not have the capacity for that. And and so a, a part of decision-making was me being more hands-on in the decision-making because we were in a crisis. But at the same time, I had to really temper down my expectations of myself. We could be our own worst enemies here. And, and I just had to say, it's more important that I pace what our team does. So that's why we took things in phases. What do we need to do to survive the first few weeks? How, then how do we improve it? Then how do we enhance connectivity within the congregation? Then how do we start doing community outreach in a broader way? Yeah, you mentioned a couple of things in there that personally I thought were really interesting. Um, number one is we're sort of in a season where it's, I think, more easy than before to compare what your church is doing, what you're doing as leader to other leaders in other churches. As everything's online, you know, I think Sundays have become a really dangerous day for pastors because you can go watch every service from anybody else, and it's so easy to fall into that trap of, well, how are they doing, and what are they using, and what tools? And then you're right, they've launched this ministry, that program. Um, But the second thing you brought up was this idea of capacity, which can be really hard to determine. Um, How much can we do? 
And you can use that that capacity question as an excuse, right? You know, right. when there's something that maybe you should be stretching into yeah. the opportunity God's given, you can say, "Well, we just don't have the capacity." Um, but you can also overreach beyond your capacity and really hurt people and burn people out and use people. How, how are you navigating that as a leader? The, the sort of seeing what everyone else is doing, trying to come to terms with what God's asking you as an individual congregation to do, and fitting that within this context of capacity. Yeah, I, I'm doing it in two ways. Number one is just instinct. You know, the instinct, as you build your team, as you get to know your team, as you know your congregation, you know yourself. Some is just intuitive. You, you just, I, I just knew I couldn't press beyond where I was. And the other is I watch close. I think leaders are always watching. Good leaders are always watching and always listening. And I don't have the instinct, I don't think, of great leaders. I mean, I know pastors who just have instincts to make things happen and get people going and probably accomplish more than what we've accomplished just because, I mean, he's got a leadership gift I don't have. And I I, I kind of settled that a few years ago. I'm not what some other leaders are. So I've got to stay within my bounds. Otherwise, I'm really adrift. And I have to trust my instincts. I have to learn to trust my gut instincts, my spiritual intuition about things. The other, though, because I don't have as strong a leadership instinct as some pastors, I, I, I do do a lot of listening and looking. And so I have a fabulous executive pastor, Pastor Carter, and he ma- he manages the day-to-day operations of the church. So, I, I, you know, for me to think, I know it all, I don't care, I'm just going to push the team into, you know, I, I can't, I, I can't do that without doing some irreparable harm. So I do listen to him a lot. He helps me be a barometer as to what people's capacity may or may not be. Um, just because I don't see a lot of our team members very often other than on Skype or, or Zoom. I, I I pick up the phone a lot more and just call, check in, how you doing, just with our pastors. I wouldn't probably do that if I was just with them all the time. But looking and listening, I, that, that that is a foundational leadership skill that can, I think, make up for what, if, if you're not just cut out to be a real natural leader, um, I think looking and listening, paying attention, being humble enough to get feedback and take it seriously, and then make your final decisions. And if if what you see in here is lining up with kind of the general pattern of how you lead, then then I think you're 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 in the groove that you're in the lane you need to be. And and it is it's terrible. I mean, it's terrible what you can do to yourself when you're watching what everyone else is doing. Yeah, you mentioned sort of at one point in the past, sort of settling with yourself, yeah. kind of what kind of leader you were. Um, how important is that? And how does a person come to terms with that? I mean, and what is the balance of sort of, again, that same sort of question of just settling into, well, this is what I am, it's good enough, right? Where there are areas you could grow and improve versus pressing too hard to try to be something because you've seen it in someone else that in reality is just not how God's equipped you or yeah. the place he's called you. You know, um, in my late thirties. I had a bit of a crisis with that. I, I, I went to Southern California to pastor a church. Uh, I left the university church that I sort of started out of leading a campus Bible study when I was studying at the university of Minnesota. That's how I got into ministry full time there. Then I went to Southern California. I followed 
Dr. George Wood, he'd been at, he'd built a church for 17 years. He got elected to district office, had to leave the church. And I followed him. I said no twice to going. I thought it was a ministry suicide assignment at 35 years old. Thought I'll last two years. They'll eat me up, spit me out. And I was pretty rookie. I was still pretty green. And and it was in Southern California with a lot of mega churches. I soon found out that uh, there were people in the congregation I pastor that used to go to Calvary Chapel during the Jesus People revival. Uh, used to go to, um, you know, you name all. Uh, Chuck Swindoll was in North County, and people used to go to his church. And I had a guy come up to me after service. He moved from the other side of Los Angeles where he had attended Jack Hayford's service. He says to me one day, he he comes up to me and hands me a cassette tape. And he said, that was very good. You know, that was very interesting how you handled that subject last Sunday, Pastor. I just thought you'd be interested in seeing, hearing how Jack Hayford handled that situation. And it was just, it became a crisis. And then Dr. George Wood, who was one of the best expositional Bible preachers in the Assemblies of God at that time. This was the early 1990s. I found I'd been there four years. I was driving down the freeway to church one Sunday morning, and I was still thinking, how would George Wood have approached this text? And I was still haunted. And Finally, the Lord the Lord dealt with me in a couple of ways about it. First of all, he said, if I've called you here, this is my problem, not your problem. You know what? Uh, sure, you may feel inadequate compared to all these guys, but if I've called you here, that's not your problem. If you're being obedient to me, that's my problem. I'm the one who called you here. That's my problem. And, and I, I distinctly remember the moment when God spoke to me. I was praying in the sanctuary. The other one was God beginning to frame my comparing of myself with others as a kind of idolatry. And I really had to deal with it spiritually. And you, what do you do with idolatry? You have to renounce it. And, and there's kind of this inner renunciation of trying to be what other people were and uh, making them what I was striving to. And I found it was really hard uh, to sound like Robert Schuller and Chuck Smith and George Wood and Jack Hayford all in one sermon. You know, I mean, you just can't be. And, and it was so overwhelming that I really had no choice but to renounce that. Otherwise, I wasn't going to survive. And it really, when I finally realized that that, that is idolatry, um, rather than abiding in Christ, finding my identity in him, um, if he's made me this way, you know, I, I personally think I've got a face for radio and a voice for silent films, you know. So this two, this crisis where we can't meet, I'm doing everything on audio and video. is like killing me, right? And now I have to listen and watch all the time myself. And uh, I mean, this is just, this is just sort of the, the end of a long, long process of just having to stop fighting myself and having to stop idolizing what I see in other people and letting Jesus be my pursuit and being okay with how he's made me. I'm not everything. And just to become relaxed with that. It took me years to overcome that. But that experience in Southern California really was a jolt. I wasn't going to survive that unless I finally got over um, not being as good as everybody else. Well, you've made some some decisions during this crisis. Uh, I know Central has been one of the churches that I think you guys have gone ahead and canceled services through the month of June. Right. Uh, and you did that sort of early on, even before some of the full guidelines were in place. I think one of the real challenges 
you and I have discussed pastoring right now is, you know, you're waiting on someone else to give you all of the information you need to make a decision. And sometimes the period of time, I mean, early on, you know, we were making decisions about whether we would have service or not with kind of a three-day window. And as you were saying, taking the entire church online between Sundays, uh, where people would spend months doing that, the, the pace of those decisions can be a real challenge. And making those decisions without a clear view of what's coming in the future. Um, how do you make big decisions like that one? So, you know, you, I think you guys, a lot of people look to your leadership. Well, I always, whenever it snows really big and I cancel service in Springfield, if you guys cancel too, I always feel like I made the right decision, yeah. right? So I'm always looking. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know that people are kind of looking at how you're right. handling some of these things. Yeah. They are thinking about the decisions you're making. So how are you making decisions like that that aren't just reactionary? You're really trying to to create a path forward with that decision. Right. Well, part of it's what we've been talking about. I'm trying to pace decisions, and and that that's the capacity of my team that, that kind of is pacing that for me. But um, the the unique challenge of this season that we're all in is that is that we're trying to give what clarity we can when really none of us has clarity. There's very little visibility into the next few months that anybody has for sure. In fact, I was reading about it, two churches this morning. The Baptist Church and the Catholic Church that actually restarted services felt like we can restart, and now they're closed down because they restarted, and a bunch of people in their churches caught COVID, and two have died in one of the churches, and so they've shut down again. I mean, how how can you predict what's going to be happening in this whole thing? I mean, who knows what's going to be happening in two or three months? So we decided that where there's so little clarity, we will give people what clarity we can right now. This helps my team to pace. And this, I think, helps people. So we made the decision two weeks ago, which would be early May, that we were not going to meet. The church was staying closed through the end of June. We're, we're the, I, I was on a Zoom call yesterday with some of the larger church pastors in our city, and the first question was, Jim, you sent out an email. You know, How did you make that decision? Uh, so I realized we're probably ahead of the pack, but we decided we're going to take this slowly, uh, but we need clear. We need to give the people in our church some kind of clarity. You know, we're not going to be back before the end of June. So let's face that. Let's get over it. Let's hunker in, and let's just keep working at connecting with each other. It's allowed us to elevate some other priorities. Uh, that decision took a while to make. We weighed the data in our community, uh, and and we, we don't. You know, we're not near as bad as a lot of other counties in the country with the rates of infection, but we just still felt we needed to be careful. If you can give people clarity somewhere, uh, it's probably going to give you a step up as a leader because there's so little clarity we can give to people right now other than the clarity of the gospel. So clarity um, was the big driving issue for me. How can we give clarity to people? And then our public witness. How can we say to the community, we care about the health of the people in our congregation, which directly translates into we care about the health of our community. So we're not going to endanger people. You know, to me, this doesn't have anything to do with, well, where's your faith? You know, that this has not endangering people, even who don't have faith. I mean, for the sake of community health. And so you balance all of these things. You make what decisions you can. It's just taking longer to make decisions the survival decisions the first three weeks were easy because they're survival. They're obvious. We've got to start talking to people every day. 
we got to get online for Sunday morning. I mean, th- those things are obvious. Nearly killed a few of our staff people who who had to work awfully hard to pull it off. The survival decisions were the easiest decisions to make. When we had to start saying, when do we reopen? That's That's where things have become really complicated. Do you have a process by which you make those decisions, a process by which you involve the team, and then also maybe how you're thinking about communicating those decisions? Because I know that's almost as important as the decision itself. Um, My my process is I'll I'll start small and then go to the affected circles uh, sequentially. Uh, So I, I get a sense of what I'm thinking, and then usually I'll talk to to a subgroup of my leadership team, starting with my executive pastor, get his feeling. Uh, we did put a reopening task force together, so we went to that level, uh, which is a group of six or seven. And then um, and then I engaged our entire leadership team, which is a group of about 15. They're all full or part-time employees. Um, a core of the leadership team would actually be our, our past staff pastors in the church and engage them in conversation. It didn't go great, to be honest. It, it's just hard when you're not in the same room and it's and everybody's just a little quiet and no one knows what the right decision is. Anyway. Everybody's still muted. So Every, they're waiting everyone's to get still called muted. on so they can yeah. unmute themselves. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it, it just clunky. Uh, and, but, you know, we did end up with enough time. We, we did end up kind of really looking at every side of the issue. And then I started usually with our board of directors, our elected board of directors in our polity, seven men and women. Um, usually we meet once a month face-to-face for a board meeting, and they're more over policy, big picture. And I knew that ultimately that's the group that needed to make this decision. So you have to figure out within your polity, I mean, I mean, where does the ultimate governance decision lie? We consider leadership team more management, the board more, more governance. And so... Uh, I knew the decision had to go there. So we started actually meeting by Zoom every week, partly just to keep checked in with each other, pray for each other. But I started surfacing these conversations. Usually you surface a conversation without the pressure of having to make a decision as much as possible. In crisis, when you're surviving, I just made a bunch of quick decisions. But but when you just get past that crisis edge at the beginning, then if at all possible, even in the good non-crisis times, if at all possible, when major decisions are being considered, you try to get the affected groups to engage the decision without the pressure of having to make that decision in that meeting. So, so you just, you know, you just can bounce ideas around and you know, there's not a lot of pressure yet. And so I, and so I started engaging leadership team that way. I started engaging the board that way by meeting every week, Every Tuesday night, just get on Zoom together and just reflect and raise the questions. And I kind of give, because we can't all meet together right now, I kind of give the board's feedback to the leadership team, the leadership teams to the board. And uh, all of that finally culminated in a board meeting where we made the final decision. And um, they're a very wise group of people on our our governance team here. And uh, I don't strong arm them. I don't manipulate them. I do invite honest conversation. I'll tell them what I think, but, um, it turned out to be a very healthy process, but that's not unlike I do decision-making the whole way. Um, in, in a non-crisis time, and we're going to make a major forward decision in the church, I'll engage the leadership team, I'll engage the board separately first, 
I find that those two groups tend to have different anxieties. They worry about different things. So they can share their anxieties. If you're not giving permission for decision-making processes at every step for people to truly share their anxieties and not have them judged, have them validated, may not be able to do anything with them, but this, this helps people. People feel like, well, my point of view is at least being heard and things like that. Then I would normally, in ordinary times, then pull both those groups together in the same room, pray together, eat food together, have fun together, and engage uh, and blend the unique anxieties of each group. I've kind of tipped them each off. And then if I'm going to move forward in the church, I really need the board and the leader, staff leadership team on the same page. And so, I mean, I've used that process for years. It's always worked real well. What it can feel like right now is pastors are going through this process of decision-making, um, and then a week later they're having to go through that process of decision-making yeah. again. Yeah. And then have you experienced any amount of decision fatigue and sort of finding yourself just wearing down or, or you know, maybe just generally speaking, you know, the risk you see of, of, of coming, succumbing to that f- decision fatigue and actually getting to a point of struggling to make decisions because of it? Yeah. Um, I would say more than fatigue. I, I can't honestly say I've experienced decision fatigue. Uh, it, for me, it's been more just decision anxiety. Like, how do you even know what the right decision is? And the real obvious decisions were for survival. Those were easy right at the beginning. As I got to the end of that first two to three weeks, then it was, and it became clear that we were, at first, we said we'll shut down for two Sundays. Hopefully, we'll be back for Palm Sunday, right? <laughs> yeah. When it became pretty clear that wasn't happening, then probably the anxiety level behind the decisions we needed to make next uh, started to manifest. I was concerned about our finances. I was concerned about how we just keep people together. I was concerned about like what? how do I coach and manage our staff team now? I mean, they're all at home all day. They can't go out. I can't go out. I mean, how do we, how do we pastor? So at that point, I addressed that anxiety by just deciding to sequence out what we dealt with rather than trying to do everything at once, decide to sequence it out. So our first, our first job was just to make sure that the entire church Every person in the church heard personally from from the leadership of the church. So a small group of us called every every family in the church uh, just to let them know. And our kids' ministry were already doing that, and our youth were doing that, and some of our men's ministry were already doing that. But we we added a layer onto that and just did it. So that so just just letting everybody know that we cared about them as a church that were there. And then the next phase was how do we connect people with each other better? And I probably should have been on top of all that the first week. It just wasn't feasible for our team and for me personally. I couldn't process that much. I couldn't get everybody on the same page or too many limitations. So I decided to sequence out decision-making. So then it was how do we do more to get people? uh, So we we launched virtual small groups and, uh, you know, which are just hitting the road now, but we did all the planning for that over the last few weeks. And then we felt like we could do community outreach. And so we did a huge thing. We served nearly a thousand families a couple of weeks ago with Convoy of Hope in our community. And, and, but I was feeling bad. We weren't doing outreach the second week, you know, but we just, 
I just had to pace out the decisions and give myself permission. A lot, a lot of it's just giving myself permission. Otherwise, I fight myself. Just well, this is the way I this is the way I lead. I'm not as aggressive as some pastors are, and uh, and yet. You know, I think we're a larger church than a lot of churches in our community. I think we can do more than a lot of churches can. So, you know, we're definitely going to try to step up to that. And and you give yourself a lot of inner permission to stop fighting yourself and just decide, well, this is what we can do. I don't know if some of our decisions were right. I don't know if we should have got on top of some things faster. But our congregation is hanging together. I think I've got good morale in the staff team, and I don't think anybody's overly exhausted right now. Yeah, yeah, I think that's we call that success right now. As best right as now, we that's know success. It, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe you could uh, close us out by just uh, taking a moment to pray and and pray that um, you know for those pastors who find themselves in like we are this situation, making big decisions, struggling with maybe some anxieties around those decisions that God, just through his sovereignty, through his His spirit, would give clarity and also give peace. And, you know, I hear even as you're talking a sort of contentment and being used the way God can use you, not trying to reach for too much, also not succumbing to doing too little, sort of being used where God would lead, um, being confident to be used in that way. You know, if we could find that place as ministers, I think that's a really healthy place to be right now. So maybe you could pray for those who are listening. Thank you, Father, for calling us. Thank you for assuring us that before we chose you, you chose us and ordained that we should bear fruit, fruit that will last. We pray that nothing will shake our love for you right now and our sense of security in you. Pray that nothing will replace just knowing you. And that, Lord, amidst all of the uncertainties, all the lack of visibility into the days ahead that we fight with now, I just pray you'll settle our spirits and touch the primary people that we're working with around us in our churches or our office buildings or our leadership responsibilities. I just pray that you give us grace to work with them. Help us to make wise decisions. Help us, Lord, to to be able to be consensus builders. Help us to be able to um, handle hearing people's anxieties without overreacting and just working through until we finally all come. Help us to be willing to listen and uh, willing to work with our teams until we come to something that seems good to us and to the Holy Spirit. We just pray you'll give us the intuition, the patience to work with our teams to good decisions, we pray. I pray you help us to know where to give clarity to people when we need to. And Lord, as we're watching what everybody else is doing, I just pray that you will help us to renounce any kind of idolatry in our life. We're, we're comparing ourselves with others in unhealthy ways, where it's almost like making idols out of what other leaders are that, that we perceive ourselves as not. I just pray, Lord, that if you've called us, we'll just be settled to be where we are, because it's, it's you that's called us, it's not us. And we pray you just give us wisdom, Give us clarity, Lord, that's supernatural. I pray you just help us to just pace things that fit who we are as leaders and that truly care for our congregation and our leadership teams. And we thank you for it. We put ourselves and all the unknowns in your hands. And thank you, you're going to carry us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. 
You've been listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questions at jimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.